Hey, I'll tell you what, is it a great day or what? To see rain and the cooler temperatures after a day like yesterday? We go from suffering to glory. That's what, that's what our text is today. From groaning to glory is the way that I have it titled. You guys get that? The groaning? Uh, that's biblical. That's in our text today too. Suffering is there. Glory is there. You put the two together and you go, this is life. Uh, but the rest of eternal life after this lasts a lot longer and is a lot better. I'm telling you, you can't even compare it, as Scripture says. Well, hey, great to see you guys. And uh, good to see some people are not sick, and we want, definitely want to keep thinking about the ones who are sick. The battle's there. James Montgomery Boyce, who wrote a commentary on Romans, said this, There are times in every preacher's work when if he takes the task of teaching the Bible seriously, he comes to themes that he knows are beyond him. In one sense, everything in the Bible is beyond us. Everything is. The Bible contains God's thoughts and none of us is ever fully able to encompass the mind of the infinite. Nevertheless, there are teachings that we do basically understand because God has revealed them to us. Not so with every idea of the Bible. From time to time we come to thoughts that we know shall never fully understand. At least not until we get to heaven. Glory is one of those subjects. Uh, we know really very little of it because we never really have experienced it in ourselves. We know what to be true in the Scripture. We know who is glorious. Glory is incomparable. What can we compare it with outside of what the Scripture says? There's nothing to compare glory of God with. It's God's magnificence, His dazzling magnificence. And we think of heaven... And we get to share in glory one of these days. We'll get to share in it. We'll have that. We can't really grasp the very fullness of glory, can we? We will get a, a good glimpse of it today as we uh, read our text and uh, try to go through that in a way that would be helpful to us. We are in Romans 8. When you come to chapter 8, you have to mention that the Holy Spirit dominates in that chapter. And everything that we do and everything that we are, the Holy Spirit has worked in us. You know that? And so a lot of people diminish the Holy Spirit. He's a powerful being. He is God. He is ever bit God as the Father and the Son are. He's the one that works in us. Works all these changes in us. And there are a lot of positive aspects in the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. A couple of weeks ago we talked about mortifying the flesh. Well, the Holy Spirit is the one who does that for us and with us. The sanctifying work of, his, of the Spirit of God. He does in us. He is for us. And He is with us. So, we're looking at the benefits 
as Romans 8 produces those to our thoughts. The benefits of what salvation brings us as the Holy Spirit works in us. The Father made the plan. The Son is the one that made the plan possible as He did the work on the cross. The Holy Spirit makes the plan work in us for salvation and sanctification. Or better yet, election is the work of the Father, or actually the plan of the Father. Justification is the work that the Son does. And sanctification is the work of the Spirit as He works in us now. So you see the triune God and how they work for us and in us. We're no longer under condemnation as verse 1 says. Verse 2 and 3, we see that He frees us from sin and death. Curse of the law, we see. Verse 4, He's enabling us to fulfill the law. We're now able to fulfill it. It's a positive thing to do that. And uh, we think of 5 to 11 where He keeps on changing us whole aspect of us constantly in verse 12 and 13. He's empowering us to continually be under righteousness and living a righteous life. 14 and 16, that's what we covered last week. That's where we left off and it was about adoption. He confirms to us that we are adopted into the family of God who is the king of the universe, we've been adopted into that family and we have full rights and privileges just like a firstborn son. And that's what we will continue on today talking about our heirship. We are heirs. We are going to be inheriting unbelievable things. The adoption and the Holy Spirit guarantees that we have been adopted. He seals us, then He guarantees to us that it is all real and it's true. And you have that bearing upon your spirit. How about that? Is that positive stuff or what? So uh, be ready to be lifted right out of your seats and raptured right in before the throne of God today as we look at this Scripture. Let's grab your Bibles and read uh, starting at verse 17. we got a big chunk here today. I really debated on whether doing two verses or do all the way to 25. Well, I've got it on your outline all the way to 25. So that we will attempt, alright? And if children... Heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that we also be glorified with Him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. 
For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Let's pray. Father, we always want our eyes open. We want sin removed. Thoughts that can go across our minds, we want all those removed and help us to concentrate solely upon Your Word here for the next hour. That we can concentrate on You and what You have for us and at the same time explaining why we are going through all the things that we go through on this planet. Lord, we look to You and help us understand these truths. In Jesus' name, Amen. Oh, wow. Can't wait to get into this text. Romans 8, it's just one week after another. It's just chock full of positive thinking. You know, the world has its definition of positive thinking. This is true positive thinking thinking from God. His positive thoughts and everything that He does ultimately is positive anyway, isn't it? All those negatives ultimately really are for the good as He will uh, explain in Romans 8.28 as we are working our way to there. Matter of fact, we're almost there. We're going to go through 25 today. Well, we saw that last week that we are sons of God. What, you don't, you don't, you don't think I'm going to get through this? <laughs> hey, it's a beautiful day. Where else would you rather be, right? We are adopted into the family of God. That's what we saw last week. We have full rights, full privileges in every way. We are heirs. Heirs. So the inheritance is what we talk about here since He stopped off with adoption and he says that okay we're children heirs also heirs of God fellow heirs with Christ so we start off with heirs of God what is our inheritance what is it that we're going to inherit well you know there are a lot of things we're going to inherit and I got a feeling most things we don't even know what we're going to get I'll just start with some things I know that we're going to get Jesus said I must leave. I will prepare a place for you. In heaven, He's preparing us a place that is a place to live amongst His people and most importantly, God Himself. I go to prepare a place. That's an inheritance. There will be a heavenly banquet there where all the saints are together worshiping God taking in this festive time, what a meal it's going to be, what a celebration, what a time of joy that we're going to have at that very moment. 
a heavenly banquet. Do you look forward to that heavenly banquet? There's another one. It's called We Will Rule. We will rule with Christ. I don't know what all that means. I know somehow we are given some kind of authority, whatever that is. And it will be perfect in the way that we rule. Because we can't make mistakes. We can't sin. We can't even worry about those things. We look forward to every moment. You ever thought of that? You said, well, boy, we need a little bit of a rest sometime. We don't need to rest. We'll never get tired. Wow, ruling. Okay. Uh, Another part of that inheritance is that we will be like Christ. Now we're talking, but we're calling these the lesser ones. And you say, how can these be a lesser inheritance? I mean, this is the top of the line, right? Yeah. But we're going to be made like Jesus. We're going to be like Him even in His attributes. That's an incredible thought, isn't it? To really be like Him. We're to represent Him here now. And we do pretty good with the Holy Spirit in us whenever we are filled with His Spirit. It's okay, but it's a far cry from whenever we will be in glory. We will be like Christ in every way. We'll not be Him, but we will be like Christ. That is going pretty far, Dennis. How far can you go? Well, they're amazing. I consider those to be quite extraordinary. We are calling them, however, the lesser inheritances because there is a greater inheritance that we will get that's even more valuable. You can say, what is that? Well, see, our greatest inheritance is that He is our portion. We belong to God as God's heirs, and also we have God as our inheritance. God Himself. Is there any higher being or thing in the whole universe that is more important than Him? Of course not. We will have Him totally have God as our inheritance. Look at the uh, Old Testament passages dealing with this, but Him being our portion. Psalm 73, 25 and 26. Oh, these, these are so good. I'm just reading them. I didn't write them. <laughs> Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. It's my very portion. He is everything for me. Look at Lamentations. This is right after Jeremiah. Lamentations 3, 24. What a great thought here. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in Him. 
You know, sometimes things really look hopeless. They're never hopeless. Never. Because we have our portion in the Lord. The Lord is my portion. Let's go to another Old Testament passage, and it's the book of Joshua. Joshua 13.33, just before Judges. It's right after Deuteronomy. It's after the law. Joshua 13.33. But to the tribe of Levi, Moses did not give an inheritance. The Levi tribe did not get an inheritance. Did they get cheated? The Levites would be like priests and all the servants. They would take a part into, in the temple worship. But look at this. The God of Israel is their inheritance as He had promised to them. Each one of them, certain ones, would be spread out over all the twelve tribes. So they had a place to live. But they didn't need even a particular portion of land. All that they really needed was God Himself. As it says here, the God of Israel is their inheritance. We are, we are really... We're tribes, aren't we? All the nations, all the ones who are His, we are priests unto God, aren't we? And our inheritance is God. What does that mean? We have everything. We will not be lacking anything in glory. Not one thing will we ever lack at any time, at any moment ever, ever again. We lack a lot of things, but not things pertaining to life and godliness. We have everything we need here, but ultimately one day we will never have a need. You ever thought of that? In heaven, well, your need is, is God. That's really all you need because He has everything that you will ever need. Wow. Well, that's Old Testament passages about being heirs of God right there. He's my inheritance. He's my portion. Now, I want you to look at Christ's inheritance because it said that we are co-heirs with Christ. Well, what is it that He inherits? I thought He was God. What do you mean He inherits? Well, because He took the place of man and did the cross and the second person of the triune God the second person is inheriting something. What could he inherit? Go to John 17. We're getting to the ultimate inheritance, folks. Most people don't know what their ultimate inheritance is. Do you want to know? John 17, 4 and 5. Here's Jesus praying the intercessory prayer the night before He's arrested. I glorified You on earth, having accomplished the work which You have given Me to do. As far as He was concerned, the work is already done, although that is yet to come. He has the next day. Now, Father, glorify Me together with Yourself. Here you go with the glory which I had with you before the world was. 
Did you know He had complete, full glory in heaven? And then when He came down to here, that's where He emptied Himself in the sense that He denied that fullness. He was still God absolutely all the way, but yet He denied doing certain things that would maybe keep him from the cross or whatever. He took the full brunt of what the world gave him. Uh, and so he's saying, give me that glory that I had before I came to earth. Give it back. That's his prayer. And he knows it's going to happen as he accomplishes the work the next day. I think that's tremendous. He's going to get His glory back. That is the greatest that God can be in His full glory. That's who He is. He's God. See, He limited Himself in a sense when He was here human. Now, turn to verse 24 in chapter 17, same chapter. Listen to this. He says, Father, I desire that they also, disciples, all believers ultimately, the ones whom you have given me, they belong to the Father. He gives them to the Son. He does His work for them. He says, the ones you've given me, be with me where I am, where He's going to go, so that they may see my glory which you have given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world. I want them to see me in my full glory. They really hadn't seen that. Well, Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration saw a glimpse of His glory, but it still wasn't the ultimate. But they got the message, didn't they? They saw glory like they'd never seen before. And here He's saying, Father, I want all the disciples all the believers really of all time to be with me and to see my glory in its fullness. I mean, what else would you want to see? You know, you think of great light shows, fireworks are coming up next week, you know, what a magnificent uh, display that is put on, you know, and we have fun with those kind of things. Uh, that's all man-made. We're talking here that something emanates from Him from within. And He's transcendent beyond all of His creation. He says, I want them to see this. Well, that is called the inheritance of glory. And when you partake of glory, you are partaking of God. Because God alone is glorious. There's no other thing being that's glorious. Uh, here we have the great Father. We know that He wants to share who He is. He wants to share His glory. We looked at it last week in the Father. We can call Him Father, but we also can call Him Abba, Father, Daddy. Papa. It's an endearing term. The most endearing term. It's an intimate relationship with our Father. Also, when we think of this, the King of the universe, 
which is everything. He owns everything. And ultimately, Christ's inheritance is the glory of God, which He's already received. And He wants us to be there. Do you know why we exist? Well, we know that one thing is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The reason that He saves us and sanctifies us is to get us to the ultimate. This is not where it ends. It ends in glory. The reason that He's setting us apart like right now, the reason He's speaking to us in His Word and from here on out is to bring us to glory. That is why you exist in the family of God. Because that's where He's going to take you. And the Holy Spirit is saying, yeah, yeah, it's going to happen. You're saying, yeah, right. I've never had anything good like that happen to me in my life. And He says, listen, the Holy Spirit's telling you this is what it's going to be. And it's going to be the best that you could possibly be. Ever. It's not your best life now, folks. It's a life of suffering because that's what it tells us in the next section here is what we're going to go to. Did you know that when you have Christ's inheritance, the glory of God, it means not, it's the vision of, it's the participation of, it's the enjoyment of God to, lo- to know how to enjoy Him. We're being heirs so that we can share in Christ's glory. That's it. That's the best that I can take you guys. I can't take you any further. Because there's nothing after that. Glory means we've reached it. And that means it'll continue on because we will continue to see glorious things and experience glory moment after moment after moment after moment after moment. If we were on earth, we'd say, okay, that's enough. I can't take anymore. (laughs) I can't. That's way too much. And being of a glorious nature, we will understand God even more. What do you guys think about glory? Well, he starts off with that because if you are heirs, you are on your way to glory. Number two is you have to step down for a moment now and you go from the extremes all the way to infinite glory down to back to earth. you got to come back to earth, folks. For the little time that we have here. It's a momentary time that we have. And so he mentions this word. Heirs also got... I mean, he's built it up. He has just built it up, built it up, and boom, we hit into verse 16. We are children of God. And then 17, we're heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And we've reached the very pinnacle of it all. And he says... If indeed we suffer with Him, so that we also may be glorified with Him. So before you be glorified, you have to suffer. Why do you have to put that in there? I was really getting into it, Dennis. Well, if I was a health, wealth, gospel preacher, I would eliminate that word. But I'm not a health, wealth, gospel preacher. I've already talked about the health and wealth, and I'll tell you where it's at. This stuff here, it just gets us by. And we got everything we need. 
and we live in America. We have because of the culture, we think everything has to be perfect. We have the have to have the next best car that comes out, the the best home that we can possibly get, the best education, and you go on and on and have, making a big kind of living, and so we can buy all these things. You know what? Things are not what it's about because we just describe what life is all about. It's about God's glory and the inheritance. And what he says here, meanwhile, we have to suffer. And if you don't suffer, you're not going to heaven. You have to get through something to get there. I will tell you that everybody does suffer, but the only ones realize that what glory is all about and how you get there are Christians only get glory and Christians suffer, but they have a different outlook. They have a different viewpoint. They have God's viewpoint on it. Except for the times that we go through it and then all of a sudden we get a human look at it and then we have to realize, oh wait, I have to get back to where how God looks at this, okay? Um, suffering. We have life under the curse. It's marked by suffering. There's the cross before the crown. There is suffering before glory. There is pain before the gain. You've seen those t-shirts before, you haven't you? Christian t-shirts. Is suffering necessary? Yes, it is. Suffering is unavoidable. If you are human, you live on this planet and everybody suffers because of the sin of mankind. It affected everyone and everything in the universe, as we'll get to next. Usually when people say suffering, they think, okay, that means martyrdom. It means persecution and then martyrdom. And they'll say, that's what suffering really is. Tribulation, that's all. That's not talking about just going through the little parts of life. It's talking about persecution. You know, I think sometimes we glorify persecution and martyrdom way too much. Because that's just a moment. Uh, if you're a martyrdom, that just lasts till that moment you, you die. We're talking about suffering, which means a the whole full life. All your life, you have some kind of suffering because of Adam and Eve's sin. It's handed down to everyone. Because of sin, you suffer. So I can't imagine. I don't think I've suffered very much at all. Well, maybe you haven't. But actually, you really have. Because as you go through life, you go through a lot of suffering. You have to admit it. I say, well, no, I, I want to think positive. This is positive. Because it says, if indeed we suffer with Him. I want to turn this word into a positive thing. Because that's what God planned to do. You see, the fall affected everything. And we have to go through this life no matter what. You can't deny it. It means physical weaknesses, sicknesses. I think of uh, all the sicknesses that we mentioned beforehand, and as Zach related to, you know, the, especially the, the youngest ones. That really affects me. Whenever I hear that, I go, "Oh my!" That's you know, it's really hard on, on the young and the constant coughing. This is suffering, folks. And that's, it's serious. That's hard. Yeah, we, we can say, yeah, we have a cold or flu or whatever, but when we go through sicknesses, it, it causes a lot of 
pain and suffering, and it's not easy, is it, as we battle those things. And we got a lot of kids right now that are, are going through that, and, and we don't uh, try to minimize that at all. Matter of fact, that this is part of our lives, and uh, it, it is something to be concerned about. Get a little bit concerned because of sickness, and we also know that people go through all sorts of different kind of tribulations, jobs they lose jobs. There's family tragedies. There's brokenness that goes. There are breakups. There's financial battles that people go through. All the stress, disappointments, failures. Every one of us have had those things. It's been part of life. And this is the suffering that we're talking about. Sure, we can be persecuted and martyred. And by the way, you know, I, not that I would really want that to happen. But in an instant, boom, you're right with heaven. Right, right in heaven, right with God. If you're a martyr, then what's the deal? You know, okay, you're, you're with Him. Yeah, there's a lot of suffering maybe before that. So I don't eliminate the martyrdom, but I, I disagree with people who say, well, that means, it always means tribulation, trials, as far as martyrdom is concerned. And I think they're lifting that up a little bit too much. Because we've all gone through a lifetime of pain, agony, and a little child when they're first born. They'll be crying, you know, as they come out. There's been a lot of agony, you know, and as they are being, you know, born out into the world and then the world that they face. Now they have a need. They have uh, they have a need to breathe and all of a sudden real quickly like uh, they hadn't breathed before this kind of air and they they got to have the milk you know real quick and uh, so uh, all of those things their uh, adversities I do not relish on them I never wanted on anybody that's my uh, you know love for people and also it's my humanist there I don't like to see anybody suffer but we're all dealing with stuff, and it's all the time. We're dealing with stuff. Stuff that we wouldn't like to do, but we have to do it, and we do it. That's the kind of life that uh, we are into. Uh, there's a lot of blessings out of it all. And, you know, do we still complain about suffering? Yeah, we do. We do. Um, I think sometimes we would regard it as unnecessary and useless. But I will tell you, uh, it's, it's useful. Because God is bringing us closer to Him. And if we were to see it the way that God sees it and what He did to His Son, we realize that suffering is really its, it's the path. It's the path to glory. That's how we get there. So I, we have to mention this. I will tell you, because in America there is an entitlement attitude. There is an attitude uh, that the culture carries. And it goes right on into the church. Come to Jesus and all your troubles will leave. If you ever say that to anybody, forbid you. Because that's not true. Matter of fact, they are now in the fight of their lives. We are told that we are to put on our armor now because you are going to get attacked by your enemies. As the prayer was said earlier this morning. We have enemies. And an onslaught is coming. And we need to be reminded of that battle. Oh, yeah, excuse me, i got to wake up. The enemy wants to destroy me. Now, God will not let the enemy destroy you, but He wants you to be alert. Be watchful. Here in the American church, 
they believe in the best your life now. Such a lie. Because we see here that we are going to have an inheritance for eternity. This little life now is very short. Compare it to eternity. But that seems to be the very essence of our Christianity today. Because it's here in America. If they were to go to third world countries and find out what the Christians are going through there, they would probably be in for a rude shock. I think it's very at the height of arrogance to say that we just name it, claim it. How about gab it and grab it? You heard that one? You know, Scripture presents the exact opposite. We have to go through a lot of things. In this world, you will have much tribulation. That's a promise. Here it says, your fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him. It's a tough one to swallow. Guys, I'd rather not be saying that phrase there. Humanly. I don't like to talk about suffering. I'll probably try to get away from it as much as I can. The only thing is, when we do expository preaching, you know what? You can't miss it because it is there everywhere. It's because we are depraved people. And then we become justified people and yet we still live in the body. Did you know Romans has already explained what all is going on? Makes sense now, doesn't it? Well, if Christ went through suffering, then why wouldn't we expect that, right? Go to 1 Peter 1.7. 1 Peter 1.7 We're not going to be on suffering all the rest of the text here, but uh, just a couple reminders. Peter says this, and in your... Okay. Yeah, okay. And in your godless brother of kindness, and in your brother of kindness love, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, it's all about... Uh, yeah, sorry about that. I'm in Second Peter. I did say First Peter one seven gave you the right verse, didn't I? I'm going okay. I know where it was leading, but that wasn't where I wanted to go. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, did that make sense? That's the right verse, right? Yeah. Uh, tested by fire. Tribulation. That uh, That's encouraging, Peter. Okay, verse chapter 4, verse 13. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, there we go again, keep on rejoicing. So that also at the revelation of His what? What's our inheritance? Glory. When He comes back, you may rejoice with exultation. By the way, look at verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. It's not strange. You shouldn't be surprised these things happen, whether it be from a physical thing or persecution, from whatever it is, it's all your whole life. That's part of the suffering. It counts. 
most people really don't get persecuted very much or martyred. A few do. But here, what we're talking about our whole life. Philippians 3.10 To live in an infested, sinful world is suffering even when you're rejoicing. Philippians 3.10 Here's Paul saying that I may know Him. And look at this. And the power of His resurrection. I want to know Him and that powerful resurrection. I want to resurrect into a new glorified body. Do you guys want that? You betcha. That's what we're all after, right? That's glory. I want to know that. And then he says this, and the fellowship of his sufferings. Uh, boy, Paul did face that, didn't he? Being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. He's saying the same thing. You have to go through suffering before you get to glory. The resurrection of the dead. Paul says, oh, I want to know the power of that, but also the the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to know that too. Look in Luke 24, 26. Jesus makes a statement. Luke 24, 26. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into His glory? You have suffering and then glory. That was necessary for Christ to suffer. And so it is for us. John 16, 33. I think I might have mentioned this earlier. These things I have spoken to you so that in Me you you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage. I have overcome the world. You will get glory. So, it's a necessary thing. And it is the path to glory. We see glory only through suffering. God designs the suffering, folks. He designed it for Christ. He designed it for each one of us. Either that or He's absolutely surprised. Can't do anything about it. Oh boy, I wish that wouldn't have happened to Dennis down there. I didn't know that was coming. Well, if that's the case, folks, we're in really deep trouble. He not only lets it happen, He designs it. Boy, you know what? This life is hard. But the song says, but God is good. Life is hard, but God is good. You know, what's the goal of God? The glory of God for us. Is suffering the end of the glory? Or the story? It's glory. Suffering is a proof of our sonship. It proves that we are sons according to our Romans 8 passage that we just read here. We may go through excruciatingly painful situations. And you know what? Everybody that goes through those things, we go through it with them. We may not feel it, but I tell you what, there's another sense that yes, we do feel it. People go through some really rough times. And you, you, you may be unscathed in whatever they're going through, but at the same time, they're brothers and sisters, and you feel for them. 
pray for them. You hate for them to go through that. I wouldn't advise going up and say, hey man, I'm glad you're really going through that. That's one of the worst things that could ever happen to you. But I'll tell you what, it's great. It's great for, uh, you know, you're, reach, you're going to reach glory. I wouldn't ever say that. We say what we know to be, hey, listen, I, I'm praying for you and I know your situation. I don't know exactly what it is, but I really do feel it because I'm a part of you. You, you are in my family. So, you know, I don't want to be one that is, uh, it's okay, you know, really good. This is good for you. That's not what we say. But, in, and God has compassion on us too while we're going through that. That's some of the unexplainabilities about God. He's compassionate, merciful. At the same time, He's bringing us to glory in every way that He designs to do it. And ultimately, it's for our good. Because the next few verses, He says that. He say, well, why would He let us go through suffering? We just talked about it. Number three, we get to that great word, glory. Here we are. We're back to that word again. We touched on it. If indeed we suffer with Him so that we may also be glorified with Him. Glorified with Christ. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now we get to go back to this now. What is glory? Oh, it's brightness. It's illuminating. It's radiance. It's splendor. It's majesty. It's beauty. It's worth. Oh, how can you explain glory? It's weighty. We are to shine. We're designed to shine for all eternity. We don't want to merely see the beauty. He could have said, all I want them to do is to come up here and to see my beauty. But no, we're co-heirs, so we get His glory, which entails everything. So you can name all those lesser things which are great, and yet, the greatest one is getting the glory of Christ. Sharing, He shares that with us and we're united with that beauty that Christ has. We want to become part of it. I just don't want to be watching a baseball game. I would rather be out there playing. You know what I mean? Now, I'm not good enough or I don't even know if I can really do much of that anymore, but I'll tell you what, I still like to be a part of it. So when we come to worship, every one of us comes here to worship God. We are doing an action. We're not coming here to watch somebody that's up there on the stage with a microphone blabbing his mouth. We're here worshiping God. We hear His Word, but His Spirit works in us. We're a part of that. You're not just just the audience. You see, you are a part of worshiping God. Isn't that exciting? You didn't come here just to see something. No, you're absolutely a part of everything. See, you're in the church, the body of Christ. Philippians 3, 20 and 21. Hang on to your seats. Here we go. 
Look at this. Philippians 3. 20, 21. For our citizenship is in heaven. Boy, it takes you past all the evil things that are going on today, doesn't it? Our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. What's this? Who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. With all that power of God, He is going to take this humble state here and He's going to turn it into a glorified body like Christ's. That is why we exist. Amazing. Go to Colossians 3, 4. Boy, it puts things into perspective. Are you really down about what's happening in the world? Well, in one sense, yeah, you should because righteousness is not really being seen here. Unrighteousness is being revealed in the worst way. But look at Colossians 3, 4. When Christ, look at this, who is our life. Right now, He is our life, isn't He? When He's revealed, uncovered, when He is shown in all of His amazing glory, then you also, look at this, will be revealed with Him in glory. I don't know how far can we go. I mean, isn't this getting to the goal? Isn't that the goal? Don't you like that? Verse 3 says, Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Look at what you're inheriting. Look at who you are now and also what you will be and where you will be and who you will be with. And you know what? Things on this earth are happening because that's the way of sinful man. And He'll burn it all up. This gets our focus back to really where He wants us to be thinking. It's good to know what's happening out there. All it does is tell us, yeah, I'm not surprised at all. That's the way it's going to be. If they don't know God, they're going to be as evil and wicked as they can because their enemy, which is really not, well, who wants to destroy them, at the same time, they think that he's alright. That's the devil or sin or death, all of those things. Oh, wow, the glory, right? Our calling is to gaze deliberately on to Him. And it's to be looking at the things that is going to be rather than what it is now. Let's go to the fourth one. It's about groaning. Oh. Oh. Groaning is a popular term here in Romans 8. We have the groaning of all creation. Yesterday, creation was groaning. All our plants and grass was groaning as it got to 100 degrees and it was burning up. 
oh, or if you're out on a float trip and that sun is bearing down on you, you've been out there all day, and all of a sudden it's like, wow, it is really miserable out here, right? You groan. Creation groans. The Holy Spirit groans, as we will look like probably next week. We groan. The Holy Spirit groans. The creation groans. Everything groans. What is that? Well, it's because of unfulfilled reality. It hasn't come true yet. All the creation groaning is because it's not what it is supposed to be. We are not where we are supposed to be. We fall short. All the creation here, it's a personification. Uh, obviously, we would really have problems if we heard trees going... <laughs> <laughs> You know, Lord of the Rings, you guys like that? The, what was the... There was the trees, but what were they called? I forget. Imp, imp, no, I, Zach knows it. Uh, when you when you get it, shout it out, because it, it's right on the tip of my tongue and I don't have it. What'd you say? Ints. Ints. Yeah, now they did do some personification in that in that movie there, and they moved along, and didn't they? Uh, they it was like they had some groaning there, right? There's a lot of biblical truths behind those stories there in Lord of the Rings, and of course, uh, they he knew about the Creator God, the animate and the inanimate. Uh, what we're talking about here is uh, all of creation. It's not angels. It's not good angels or bad angels. It's not Christians or non-Christians. That takes in beings. Uh, what it is is all the rest. Mountains, hills, trees. Trees clap their hands, you know. Personification. It's saying they will be... They're waiting for our glory because then... They get to be what they were designed to be as creation. Not saying that they're going to be literally shouting and singing, but you, you get the idea. It's like in Isaiah 35, 1, it says, The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad. Well, how could a wilderness and a solitary place be anything consciously, right? They don't have a conscious being, but it's a personification. Um, how about Isaiah 55.12? The mountains and the hills break forth before you go into singing and all the trees of the fields shall clap their hands. All the, the joy, really, of all of God's creation. It's, it, it, that creation won't die. You know, and they go through it like, boy, you can look at uh, plants after we've had so many of this upper 90s every day in blistering sun. And you go out to look at especially the new plants and they are wilting and trees are, you know, the leaves are just like this. It's because of what man did. It's Adam and Eve caused that. And all the creation, it affected everything, everything and everybody. That's what sin did. And it shows you that, hey, we, why we have a hope. We want to get away from a sin-infested world. It's corrupt. It's diseased. And it says here, for the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly 
for the revealing of the sons of God. By the way, the revealing of the sons of God is our glorification. They're waiting for us to be glorified. The waiting eagerly is this. It's like creation is stretching its head up and on its tiptoes trying to get up there as close as it can. It's like whenever it rains, you ever seen tree leaves just bulge out and they're trying to catch the raindrops. Have you ever noticed the leaves? It's like they swell up and they receive that water and bring it on in. Well, this is a sense in that way. They're on the tiptoes, creation is, looking into the, what's going to happen in the future. Stretching to see something. Oh, if I could get up there and see that. It's established establishment of new heavens and a new earth. That's what that is. Look at Genesis 3, 17 to 19. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it. Look at this. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. But thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. You will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground till you die. Because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Every bit of that is true. Can any unbeliever deny what this is? Whether they believe God or not. All of this happens. We have to work and work hard and sweat to make a living. We will not sweat in heaven. We will not be tired. When we work, it will all be joy. And you enjoy working sometimes. But then you're in 100 degree heat, and it's 110, they say, heat factor. And you're going, oh man, I can't really take any more of this. Oh, I need to get this done, but I don't feel like it, but i got to do it anyway. Right? Well, that's because of the curse. It'll take you back to Adam and Eve. Every time I'm out there and all that kind of thing is happening, I just you know who I blame it on? Adam and Eve. That's man, this is the sinful world. This is the way it is. What can I do to change it? Well, there are a lot of environmentalists out there, folks, that are trying to change this world. And I want to tell you that it is all futility. It is all empty, and it's useless what they're doing. Because you see, God set in place called what is called the second law of thermodynamics. What's that? It's science. It means it's dwindling down. That means that it is losing it. It's running down. Everything dies. We saw that right there in Genesis 3. Adam even would die. Mankind dies, creation dies, death, decay, futility is what they are. God subjected all creation to that, to futility, to emptiness. He did it because of what happened. But it says, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption and to the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now, that's great. You know, environmentalists, they aren't going to turn this over. 
We hear about it today so much. They think they're going to reverse all of this. If only they knew what the truth is. Absolute foolishness. All of the things they're coming up with. All this green, green this, green that. You know, nice try. Doesn't work. We can tell you right now. It's just a waste of time. Solar energy is not going to do it. Eliminating carbon is not going to do it. Getting rid of fossil fuel, that's not going to do it. That's all we're hearing about. You know, it's what our administration talks about constantly. Education isn't going to do it. What it is, it's a divine curse that has happened. And until Christ comes back, it's just going to get more and more dwindling down. Just God's Word. Isaiah 24.6 says, A curse devours the earth. Isaiah 24.4 says, The earth mourns and withers. The world fades and withers. The exalted of the people of the earth, they fade away. The earth is polluted by its inhabitants. That says it, doesn't it? They transgress laws. They violate statutes. They broke the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse devours the earth and those who live in it, they're held guilty. But the creation will be set free. I like that. A beautiful imagery, isn't it? They're looking for a better future. And the better future is us when we're glorified. What will creation look like then? It's going to be beautiful, isn't it? Okay, let's go into the fifth one, the groaning of Christians, and we're narrowing this down now. And not only this, oh, by the way, in 22, we know that the whole creation groans and suffers. There he says it again. The pains of childbirth. Just a, a, a positive note on that. It says pains. But what's the next phrase there? Of uh, childbirth. Uh, yeah, you have the pains, but you know that there's going to be something good out of this. There's going to be a child. The pains of childbirth. Every woman here who's given birth knows about those pains. Oh, it's horrible. And at the time, you'd almost say, I'd rather die. But at the same time, in the mind, is saying, but I've got a child coming. A baby is going to be born. The pains of childbirth. So that's what it is. We have something that we know that's coming true out of all this. So verse 23, and not only this now, but we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, what are the first fruits? A farmer goes out, gets his first fruits, brings them in. There's going to be more coming, but here's the first that we've got so far. The first fruits. It's a guarantee there's more to come. The Holy Spirit is our guarantee. The Holy Spirit is our guarantee that we do have a future. You have the Holy Spirit living in you, right? He leads you, guides you, you live by Him. Uh, and that's just a down payment. The rest of the payment is to come. A down payment is a small fraction. The rest of the payment for the inheritance is going to come. We don't live for this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. Is all of this stuff clicking? It's nothing new at all, but it reminds us, oh yeah, it's not about this world. In the meantime, yeah, we are to be sanctified and live for God's glory, but... The groaning of Christians, you know what it's like. We understand the groanings, don't we? Oh, I'd love to be with the Lord right now. Oh, boy. You know, we are living imperfections. 
We groan in ourselves. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? Remember Paul in Romans 7.14? How about 2 Corinthians 5.4 where Paul says, In this tent we groan, desiring not to be unclothed, but to be clothed upon with our new body, that this mortal shall put on immortality, that death shall be swallowed up in life. David groaned in Psalm 38.9, All my desire is before you, and my groaning is not hid from you. You all groan, don't you? Uh, when I got out of bed today, my knees felt sore as I put them down. I tried to get out of bed. And, uh, and then I walked to the bathroom. Uh, I catch myself awing all the time. That's physically. But spiritually, you are really wanting the fulfillment of this all. This is a hard life. And it shows, and the older that you get, the more you've gone through, and the closer you get to the Lord, the more you've grown for Him. At the same time, you say, I'm torn, but I have a loved one here, so I, I, I know I need to stay with this love. I need to get the Gospel continually. God has a plan until that time. But I'm torn. I'd sure like to be with Him right now. I'd sure like to see him coming out of the eastern sky, right? Meet him in the clouds. Wouldn't you guys love to do that? Uh, well, we're groaning when we say that. Oh, Psalm 38.9 says, All my desires before you and my groaning is not hid from you. We know what it is to groan. We groan. What are we waiting for? Verse 23 says, Adoption as sons. That you say, I thought we were already adopted. We're children. Yes, we are. But we're talking about being adopted into that glorious body. That is the final fulfillment of it all. Oh, that makes sense. Wait, waiting eagerly for adoption. Just like creation is doing that, it's almost like we're doing the same thing. Lord, are you, you coming back? <laughs> I was tiptoeing there in case you didn't know. Uh, the last one, and this this is, has to be covered real quick, uh, but let's talk about hope. For in hope we have been saved, but hope we know we're we're saved by grace, right? Uh, hope here is something that's not seen. Hope burns bright because we know it happens, and we are guaranteed. We it's a hope knowing. Oh, not I hope so. I hope it happens. No, it's... Man, this vacation is, a, is, is coming and, and the beach is there and I can't wait to get there and I, we, we got everything that we, all planned out. I mean, everything is all planned out and everything's all planned out, folks. Oh, this hope is so guaranteed. We all live in hope. Hope burns brighter, right? Uh, I can't fix the world. Nobody else can fix the world. Uh, I'm not. I'm not concerned about that. You know what? I'm waiting for the day when the Lord Jesus comes back. I'm waiting for the day when there's new heavens and a new earth. Right? Um, we're saved by faith, but we're we're saved in hope. Saved by faith, the grace, through Christ. But we're saved in hope. Our salvation is not full yet. We know it, it's awaiting. We live in hope. That means we don't see. If you're hoping and you, you are seeing, that's ridiculous. You're, you're right on the beach now. 
You're not hoping anymore, are you? But until then, we are hoping. Now, there will continue to be a hope. Faith, hope, and love. Love is the greatest of all those gifts. You say hope will still be... Yeah, because we know that we will believe and we will hope in a guaranteed hope as we continue on in our eternal life. Continually. What keeps us persevering then? It's this hope. We don't see. We live in hope. For what we don't see, but we know it. What keeps our hope bright? The ministry of the Holy Spirit that's in us. He's the fruit of the Spirit. He's leading us. He's filling us. He holds us. He secures us. He causes us to have perseverance. He preserves us. He has, we have a hope here that we know the return of Christ is coming. And we wait for our own future glory. Amen? Let's pray. Father, great God, thank You for such great hope that You've given us. A great faith. Thank You for the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. And it's absolutely true in every way. Every word that we read here today is something about us that we are going through now. And as we go through it, whether it be good, bad, and different, we know that You're working it up to glorious things. Oh Lord, thank You. This is the Christian life. And we are so thankful that the Holy Spirit directs us as we live this life. In Jesus' name, Amen.